Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. The following broadcast has been approved for Elite Hornets fans. What a block by Cody Zeller. Walker, down the lane, drive, shoots, scores! Game over! Bringing back the buzz was only the beginning. We will not go quietly into the night. It's Hornets talk for the hardcore fan. It's Hive Talk Live. Welcome in, Hornets fans. You are listening to Hive Talk Live Thursdays, brought to you by our good friends at ESPN 730 on thehive.com. It's Hornets Talk for the hardcore fan. That's you guys. We are live in the Gittimer.com studios in BEA, beautiful uptown Charlotte. I'm Doug Branson, and joining me, as he does every Thursday, he covers the Hornets for ESPN 730. My man, Justin Thomas. How are you, buddy? I like that intro, man. You know, I was tired today, but that made me feel special. Good. Thank you that's, for that. I well, appreciate Listen, that. that's my goal, to A, make you feel special, but also I think that intro served to say it's going to be okay. I know MKG could possibly be out for the rest of the year. We'll get to that. We'll also talk about... Big Al Jefferson's return. We're also going to talk about Frank Kaminsky, and we're going to talk about our one last thing to today or tonight, I should say, is on Muggsy Bogues and and a possible biopic, a Muggsy biopic, and we want to know who you think should play Muggsy in his biopic. So life continues. Hornets life continues, and we have to talk about it. And and so that intro served to say it's going to be okay. You can listen to us live every Tuesday and Thursday at 6 o'clock p.m. right here on HiveTalkLive.com. But if you miss us live, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast aggregator to get shows uploaded to your mobile device of choice. And with that, we say, let's swarm, let's continue to swarm Charlotte. But we do have to start with MKG's injury. <laughs> so uh, in this Pacers game, MKG, third quarter, g- goes for a loose ball, uh, and uh, he's uh, fallen on by a Pacers center, Ian Mainmi. He tears the labrum in his right shoulder, the same shoulder that MKG injured in October. It's it's certainly it's brutal. I mean that's that's the only way to describe it as a, as a fan, as someone who covers the team. It's just brutal to see MKG, who has been plagued by injuries, fall to the same injury that he recovered from in October. You know, beat the odds in terms of how long he was supposed to be out. He gets back. He was playing so well, and now it looks like uh, that he could be out for a significant amount of time again. I I think we should start, Justin, with a little bit of a clarification because when you look at that play, so Ian Mahimi falls on – I struggle. It sounds like I'm just barely getting his name out every time I say it. (laughs) Don't fault yourself. All right, thank you. Um, So Ian falls on MKG, 
and falls on his left shoulder. His body lands on his left shoulder, but MKG actually injured the right shoulder. Now, I've gone back and looked at this play several times, and, and he could have injured it when his right hand slammed on the floor, or there was a little bit of an arm tangle going on between um, Miles Turner, MKG, and Mahinmi as they fell to the floor. So it could have happened there. It's re- we don't know when exactly the injury occurred, but it was not uh, Ian Mahinmi falling on the shoulder because that was his left shoulder. So we've got that out of the way. Clarity. Clarity. That's what we're here to provide. But it, it doesn't take away from the fact that the Hornets' best player over the past seven games, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, injured, torn labrum, probably out months, not weeks, as people had desperately hoped when it first happened. Um, Charlotte, I, I know this is a, is a trying time. Um, I understand the Panthers lost in the Super Bowl, and you thought oh, things why'd were— you have to bring that up? And, and you thought things were getting better. Um <laughs> I actually uh, um, did some writing this week, and, you know, the moral of the story were things were looking up. And I don't know if it's what. It's not even a full 10 hours since the tweet and the story is out. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist is hurt with that shoulder. Um, I don't like to I don't like to be too negative, but I'm just going to state this. Hopefully you guys can, can take it for what it's worth. But since Michael Kidd-Gilchrist's rookie year, his games per season have declined. Um, the way he plays, he is a, a guy who goes all out and puts in a ton of effort. And that's what you love about him. His hustle, his grit, his tenacity, all those good things make Michael Kidd go, Chris, the, the defensive stopper that he is. But um, I think just going forward, he's going to be injury prone. And that that hurts for a guy who just got a four-year, uh, $58 million extension, I believe. And it just doesn't look good. To, to be honest, um, he'll come back from this and he'll be good. But, you know, we'll talk about this again next year. And it might not be a shoulder. It'll be another thing. And he's just going to stay nicked. Um, I liked, I was talking to a guy at work about this. And Michael Kidd Gilchrist hadn't even reached his peak yet. But it's almost the same narrative of Dwayne Wade. Remember when Dwayne Wade was was balling and he was, and he was the man. Converse had them the um, uh, ad of fall seven times get up eight because he'd always dramatic do a lip and fall die for a ball and everybody loved it it was like yay and now Dwayne Wade's limit to the finish line Michael Kidd Gilchrist hasn't even peaked at his game yet and you already know that he's gonna have problems I'm just gonna have health issues of and staying on the floor and a guy that means so much to his team that's big for a guy that yeah uh, he comes back and the team is instantly better but it's go- you're going to struggle because we already know he's going to be in and out the lineup because of injuries, and that's sad. So, yeah, I was taking a look at his uh, game totals for his uh, four years in the league. Uh, his rookie year, he played 78 games, started 77 his rookie year. 13-14, went down to 62 last year. It was 55, and then now it looks like the total will stand at only 7 in those seven games, though, he had 13.5.7 rebounds, and he was shooting over 50%. His uh, The offensive rating of the team when he was on the floor, 110. The defensive rating for a team that's struggled to play defense, okay? The defensive rating on this team, 95. That's a net rating of 15. Next highest was Lamb 
Jeremy Lamb at a cool 3.4. So that's a pretty big gap in terms of net rating on the season. And and I just I, I think about how well the starters played with MKG on the floor. Because early in the season without MKG, we saw the Hornets bench play very well. And when MKG returned, the bench was in the middle of a little bit of a struggle. But the starters were playing so well. The first quarter, the third quarter, those were the quarters that the Hornets shined when MKG came back. In fact, I was looking at the stats. The top five players in net rating since MKG returned, all five starters were top five. Rest of it, bench. So MKG provided something to this starting unit that had been missing probably since Big Al went down. And now they're going to be missing it again as MKG, torn labrum. We don't know. Now, it's, this is important to note, Justin. We don't know if he's going to have surgery on this shoulder. Could try to rehab it. If he did try to rehab it, we went through the same conversation in October. If he does try to rehab that shoulder, the the expected time that he's out goes down considerably, but the risk of re-injury goes up if you try to rehab it as opposed to just having the surgery. And I mean, he's already, this is already a re-injury of an injury that happened this year. So I, I don't know. I don't know. It's tough. It's a tough situation. DB, you're a smart guy. <laughs> I'd like to consider myself a, a smart guy. Even though we aren't um, front office executives, I think we're pretty good basketball not, minds. Not yet. And a guy that you have as, as one of your staples going forward, mm-hmm. I think it's a no-brainer. You sit him down, you have that surgery, and you make sure he's ready to go next season. You cannot. I understand. Matter of fact, I'm a Cowboys fan. We didn't. Um, my Cowboys did not um, give Tony Romo, did not elect for Tony Romo to have surgery. What happens? His second game back, that same collarbone, hurt it again. Yeah, that's a good, say, that's a good comparison. And, and MKG, is is he's important. I mean, the number stated, he's very important to this team's success. Mm-hmm. Um, Hornets 5-2 and two since his return. They beat the Cavs, Pacers, and a 19-point comeback against the Wizards. That's the most important stat. Hornets, better better record when MKG's on the floor. You have enough You have enough talent to still make a playoff appearance. I agree with that. Because I think that's very important as, as far as keeping Batum. But just back to MKG, you, you have to sit him down. And it's going to be tough for him because he's going to want to elect to do rehab. He's a, he's a competitor. He wants to play. But you know, some you can't let guys get in the way of themselves. You have to say, "Hey, you're you're too valuable for us. We just paid you. We're gonna sit you down, get that surgery, and you're gonna come back ready to go next year." Well, so I think there's competing things going on. There is that sense that you just paid a player a lot of money, and you and he just re-injured an injury. You don't want to risk further re-injuring that shoulder. But at the same time, the Hornets they know how important MKG is. And they know how important it is to get this team not only back to the playoffs, but competing in the playoffs. I think this team can get back to the playoffs, but without MKG, I'm not sure they can compete. I'm not sure they can hang with the top four or five teams in in the playoffs and AKA first round. That's going to be a first round matchup for the Hornets unless they make, you know, an incredible March and April run and shoot up into the top four. But so those are the two competing things. For for MKG, I think you're right. I think he's a, an ultimate competitor. He's going to want to come back. But I think 
maybe Kimba should talk to him because Kimba went through a similar situation last season where he injured uh, his knee in a way that he had injured it before, and he elected to have the surgery. And we talked about it at the time because he was in, again, a similar situation where he could have gone one of two ways, rehab, you're back sooner, you risk re-injury or surgery, and you're out for more time. And I think the smart play for young players, and D. Rose has gone through this, the smart play is to have the surgery, sit, give yourself enough time to get back. Do you think, because that the, the narrative that automatically comes up now with this MKG injury, and I've seen it all over social media, is that somehow the Hornets rushed him back or that he rushed back and, and that's what caused this re-injury. Is that your read on this situation? I don't believe that at all. Um, even, you know, when he was clear for non-contact drills, everybody wanted to ask Clifford or speculate. And he said, we're, we're not going to bring him back until he's ready. He's ultimately ready. And I, I think a big part of coming back is confidence because D Rose came back, he wasn't confident, and mm-hmm. you see his what his what his narrative is, and that's tragic. And for MKG, is is he worked really hard? Um, you you trust your team doctors, and if they give you the okay, if he goes through practice and and he can go and endure contact, you let him play. He's a young guy. He's not thirty five. No, he's a young dude. He can go out there and play. Um, so the narrative. That um that they rushed him back, I would um you don't buy that. I, I don't buy that at all. I don't buy that one bit because if he wasn't ready to play, they wouldn't have brought him back. Because one, he was clear to play and he was confident. He wanted to play. See, the difference with Rose is they wanted Rose to play, and Rose his confidence wasn't there. So when you're confident in there, you don't play the same way. And when you're cautious the way you play, that usually leads to injury. But that mm-hmm. wasn't the case with KJ. He was ready to go. He was cleared, and it was a freak injury. I'm torn because I, I thought when I initially thought that he had injured his left shoulder and that Mahimi had fallen on that shoulder, uh, my brain went to, well, that's a freak injury. You can't, you can't anticipate that. I mean, you can tear your ACL running up and down the court, walking up and down the court, so you can't anticipate that. But if, if it wasn't a, a severe contact kind of deal, and, and I'm no, you know, I know I'm no, I'm no physical therapist, I'm no doctor. But but I'm just talking as somebody who watches this, that if it's not a severe free contact thing, then I'm going, I don't know, maybe. Because it, was, it wasn't like it was on, on the early side of him coming back. I mean, this was considerably sooner than, we, than anyone thought that, that someone could come back from this type of labrum surgery. So I think it's fair to ask that question. We don't... I don't know the answer, but I think it's fair to ask the question. Now, there, the other question that's being asked on social media is, should Michael Kidd Gilchrist have gone all out for that ball, knowing that he w- was coming off of this surgery? He's only seven games back. Should he have gone all out for a ball in a game situation? The Hornets were nearly up 20 points on the Pacers late in the game or late in the, or, yeah, late in the second half. So this game was pretty much wrapped up. But he went for the ball, got on the ground where anything can happen. Justin, do you think MKG should have gone all out for that ball? Oh, I do. That, that's what makes him special. If if he's out there being cautious, you're going to say, wait a minute. That's not the guy that I watched last year that, that you could have argued been on one of the 
defensive teams, all NBA defensive teams. Mm-hmm. What he's a good defensive player, and and what that means is that's a bunch of effort. Granted, this happened on the offensive end, but what makes him special is his effort, his hustle, his want. If he's not out there diving for the ball, um, you know, risking it all for a loose ball or, or whatever the case may be, I don't want him on the floor because that's not his game. But when he returned. You would never thought he had an injury because he was running around, flying, jumping up for rebounds, going in the paint, taking contact. That's his game. You don't you don't want a player to return and not play his game because when you do that, that's not the guy that you want on the floor. He was playing his game. He he lost the ball. He went for it, and we're here. That yeah, we're, this this is a situation that we're in. Let's go to Twitter. Tom on Twitter saying this is the worst. This is here. This is the worst week. For Charlotte sports in recent memory, I am thoroughly flattened. Tom, we'll go ahead and uh, we'll, we'll do this for you. Um, we'll do what Fox Sports did on the broadcast. We'll play a little sad music, and I, I think it's warranted. Um, and and I, I don't shy away from the sad music because I think you have to you have to work through this. Did did I cry myself to sleep? Of course I did. Of course I did. Because you you can't hide your emotions, Justin. You must you must work through them. Uh, Hunter's Hunter saying he he came back two months early. I'm not I'm not saying that that is the case, but I'm saying I think after watching the replay several times, I don't know if it's a freak thing. I think it doesn't seem freaky. Had Mahinmi landed directly on that shoulder, I'd say, well, you know, it's a freak thing. But I don't I don't know in this instance. So I'm I'm a little on the side of Hunter here. And uh, R. Lee on Twitter uh, saying, um, no, he, he was rushed back, just didn't have enough time to heal all the way, should have had limited minutes. That's another thing, Justin. MKG inserted um, right back into the starting lineup. We don't normally see that with, with Steve Clifford. He normally works guys back in with limited minutes for four or five games and then sends them back into the starting lineup. I don't think that necessarily played a role here because you would have seen it, I think, earlier on. I, I think after seven games, you know, seemed fine. I mean, it took contact to make this happen. He didn't run up the court and suddenly his shoulders flailing about in a weird way. Yeah, he he was fine. Um, Clifford also talked about how much he did um, conditioning-wise. So he was ready to go, and, and he said whenever he motions in me and he's tired, I pull him. But when he's ready to go, he's ready to go. Um, and all the guys who, who have uh, sent those tweets in have, have extremely valuable points because he Dude, when he came back, to be honest, I didn't think he was going to play this year, mm. and and that's just me. I didn't I didn't think he was going to play because he's as we all know he's very important. Like you don't you don't mess around with things like this. But sometimes, but I think I think these guys are professionals, and I yeah. think there comes a certain point where you, you you can't crawl into a guy's shoulder and figure out what's. I mean, you you do. Someone saying uh, what's an X ray, but I, I'm just saying like you can't predict. What's going to happen? You there, at a certain point, it is a gamble. At a certain point, you go, okay, we've done everything we can do at this point. He's a professional. He, you know, he's a valuable member of this team. He wants to get back out there. Let's see what happens. And and it just didn't go MKG's way. It didn't go the Hornets' way. Yeah, keep tweeting us at Hive Talk Live. We want to hear your thoughts on this, and we'll keep reading them on the air. We, I want to go back to should MKG have gone all out for the ball? I agree with you, Justin. I, I think. When a guy has the switch, when when he can 
do the things that MKG does in terms of hustle, in terms of intensity, especially on the defensive end, although we've been seeing it on the offensive end as well, which was a, a great surprise for the Hornets. You, I don't think you can turn that switch off. And if MKG could somehow turn that switch off, he's, I don't think he's a great player. Nope. I, I think you either, you either have that gear or you don't have that gear and you can't shift down. And I don't want to like rope this into a conversation about whether, and you've probably heard a lot of this on, on sports radio, but whether Cam should have dived on the ball. I mean, I don't know. I like, I, I don't think those two situations are necessarily the same. They were different game situations. One is the Hornets are up 20. The other, the game is essentially on the line. But you see, I think this idea that when, when you second guess, when you don't, fully play your instincts, then, you know, some, some things can happen. And, and I think MKG was playing his instincts and, and you do risk injury. One small thing about the Cam thing is I'm a huge Cam Newton fan. And mm-hmm. I think it's very unpopular. It's very unpopular. But nobody, again, nobody's going to want to hear this. But Cam made the the right decision of not going over that ball. From the angles that I've seen him when he well, was saying, "Wait a minute, his okay," but I just asked you, should MKG have gone all out for the ball? And you said he should have. Yeah, but, but this, the, the to me, that's the same situation. I, I, think, I think it's slightly different. Because I think MKG should have gone for the ball. Yeah. I think Cam should have gone for the no, ball. I don't, I don't <laughs> think so. I'm, we're gonna keep this really. We're gonna keep this really, really. I, um, I saw I saw like a, a clip of it, and the way like um, Cam's leg was like extended straight. Straight out. So if he would have dove, more than likely he would have broke that bad boy. The difference is when MKG is going for that ball, he's not going to think, ah, I'm going to mess up my shoulder again. I'm fine. But I don't think, I mean, you, but you're telling me that you think that Cam in that very yeah, instance. He saw it. He, like when he was there, he was like, yeah, if I go just like this, I'm going to be hurt. But I, I didn't see any, I wouldn't, I didn't then see he any truly, injury I, I feel like if, if that's the case, then he truly is Superman because he can see things. I, I mean, I know that, that uh, you know, sports science has proven that certain guys have, <laughs> you know, if you get to that level of elite, elite athleticism, that you can see things a little slower than other people can see it. But I just think that the, the instinct would have been to jump on the ball. I, I do agree with that. And, I do. And, and I think that was MKG's instinct, and I think he did it, and he risked injury. So if you're going to argue that Cam should not have jumped on the ball, I guess you could look to MKG and say, that's what happens. But you can't. But I I don't understand what you're arguing because you're saying MKG should have gone. Yeah, because he didn't like. I don't think he saw his body, like you know, saw like saw any damage in going for the ball because you know it was just a loose ball. So I don't think anybody thinks something's gonna happen. They just die for the ball. But the difference is, Cam physically knows what how his leg is like the where the placement of his leg is. So he's thinking I can die for this ball and more than likely get it. But if I do that, I know I'm going to tear up one of my legs doing it, and I don't. And you don't, you don't see that when you're going for the loose ball because you're just going for the loose ball. Now, if he, if his body was contorted some way before he went for that loose ball, then I would say uh, maybe I don't go for this. But I think that's the slight difference is is just a just a body language, well, body position, not language. Excuse that. We're, we're getting a lot of good action on Twitter, so I want to head back there uh, once again, and please keep keep tweeting us your thoughts here as we continue this conversation. Uh, let's see, Mike. 
telling us, I think it's more just bad luck who gets crushed by a seven-footer like that and does not injure their shoulder. Again, Mike, it wasn't that shoulder that Mahimi fell on. Now, Mahimi did have his other arm on the other shoulder as he fell, and that could have contorted the shoulder in some way. We're just not sure when exactly that injury occurred, but it wasn't we, – we know it wasn't Mahimi's body falling on the shoulder because that was the left shoulder. Back to Twitter, Corey, oh, I love this answer because we always talk about this is kind of sports radio done differently, that that we don't have to have all hot takes. We can have some, some um, lukewarm takes, and I love this from Corey because it's a little lukewarm. Uh, Corey, to our question, do you think the MKG was just a freak injury or the result of returning too soon? Corey says, mixture. I like that. That's a lukewarm take. That's what some, Sometimes knowledge is in the lukewarm take. High risk with him coming back, playing so many minutes, but the way it happened made it a freak injury. And it's one of these things. I always talk about it. You, you can walk down the stairs and tear, tear your ACL. You can go out for a loose ball and, and knock the ball away and um, break your finger. So, yeah, I, 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 I kind of agree with Corey. I think it's a little bit of a mix, but I don't know. I just get this vibe that maybe – if this wasn't a complete freak injury, that maybe it could have somehow been avoided. Maybe that's just me wanting to hope. You know that I, it, that maybe it could have been avoided. I'm trying to like figure out a way I can get in a time machine and, and fix this somehow. I'm like uh, Ashton Kutcher from The Butterfly. I can fix this. I know. I know everybody's concerned, but I nobody wants to face the music. Michael the Kid Gilchrist. This music. Face that music? <laughs> yes. That, matter of fact, you should actually keep this rolling. <laughs> All right. Go. Charlotte Hornets fans, I, I know this is a, a trying time, <laughs> um, but sometimes you just you just have to look in the mirror and accept what's presented to you. I, I can't. Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Don't say it. Is injury prone? No. That's that's just what it is. I'm sorry. You're wrong. I'm sorry. All right, let's talk about some good things. That was that's enough. That's enough sad music. That's enough terrible subjects. Let's talk about the fact that hey, by the way, the Hornets won a basketball game and they got back to over 500. Chris Kroger from WFNZ tweeting out that this is the first time the Hornets have been over 500 going into an All-Star break since 2001. That's tragic. I love that team. That's my favorite team, Mashburn Jersey. Hanging up now. I got it hanging from the rafters. You know what? I I did. You know, I was more of an Eddie Jones type of guy, oh, but get out of here. You know, I didn't mind Mashburn. Dude, Mash was the best. All right. So the Hornets win 117 to 95. The big stars from the Hornets game, uh for Hornets side of the basketball, I should say, Kimball Walker, 25 points, seven rebounds, three assists, 10 of 21 shooting. Again, I mean Kimba just continues to feel confident, knock down three-pointers, and really move and shake the defense in some pretty considerable ways. Frank Kaminsky off the bench, 20 points. Whew, Frank. It was funny because I started tweeting some, is Frank hitting the wall? Because he kind of got off to a little bit of a shaky start in this game. And it's almost as if he went to the bench, and he's a big Twitter guy. Maybe he went to the bench and saw the tweets that were coming out, not just from from Hive Talk Live, but other people have been having this conversation and said, forget this wall. You want me on that wall. And he went out there and had a great game, 20 points, eight rebounds, and just looking good. Knocking down shots, hit two three-pointers, 
it was good Frank tonight or last night. That was a a, a really good win. Um, one we all know Charlotte has been abysmal on the road. They mm-hmm. they, they can't. Mm-hmm. They couldn't beat anybody. Um, they beat a good Pacers team, a, a good Pacers team, and they played good basketball. Um, one thing um, I noticed on the defensive end, there were a lot of active hands. They were they were really disrupting passing lanes, and, and not just Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Yeah, they there were, were a lot it. of other. They were really getting after it. That was really impressive. Um, if we if we go to Kimba, one thing why I think Kimba well, well it's not why I think Kimba's having the best year um, of his career and. I think a reason for that, one, is the improved shooting, but also he's becoming more effective with his dribble. Like He dances from time to time, but he's he's getting into what he wants to do early. Like He doesn't just dance, 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 and takes a bad shot or, or drives and ends up making a bad decision. Now, you know, he can make jump shots. And also now when, when he takes him off the dribble, he makes his move and he decides. If he's going to make his move and pass, he does it. If he's going to make his move and go by and look to score, he does it. And he's been a lot, he's, he's been much more quicker um, and more effective off the dribble. And and Frank, you know, Frank's just out here balling. Um, you know, he, he said uh, before they left, you know, he was saying that he, he is looking forward to the break um, so he can get some rest. But he also said that, um, he was learning to take, how would I say, he was basically, uh, how would I say this? He was learning to take advantage of, of the treatments and, and the things that were available. I don't know mm-hmm. if he wasn't doing that to start the season, um, but Maybe I know he is. Trying to tough it out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and I know now he's taking full advantage of the training staff, which is very good and Fra- wise. Frank! Get out of the ice bath. You know, you let some other people use it, Frank. Hey, it's a long, it's Frank. a long season, and you have to make sure you're prepared. Um, also, Jeremy Lamb. Um, he oh, was yeah, Jeremy. He was a, a pure yeah, scorer. He, he was in a little funk. Well, he was in a little funk, and, and the SB Nation did a great uh, profile, long form profile of Jeremy Lamb, and and he comes out seven of eight from the field, uh, sixteen points. Really didn't do much else in the game, and and that's okay because I think this bench more than anything needed a scoring punch and somebody that you can hand the ball to and ask to go make a play other than Jeremy Lynn. That's been Lynn's role. And and it was nice that Lynn and Lamb, the super Jeremy brothers, could get back together and start getting into a groove. But I want to go back to, to Kimba making things happen off the dribble. I think, you know, he's obviously not a pass-first guard. He's not going to rack up double-digit assist numbers in many nights. And he only had three assists, but I think it's a little bit deceiving because you have this other guy, Nick Batum, who is a, a, a great playmaker off the pass. And I think Kimba's, I, I'd love to, I should have looked at his, I didn't really know I was going to make this point until we started talking about this. So I'll go back and look. But I think maybe his secondary assist, his hockey assists, might be a decent number to look at because I think he makes things happen with his dribble. He moves a defense one way switches sides, gets the ball back to Nick Batum, who then can create a pass. He just doesn't – he does more with his shot in the pick and roll than he does necessarily getting it to Zeller or Frank or some of these other guys in the pick and roll. He just – he finds more room to get shots up, and luckily for the Hornets, he's been able to knock them down. But I think the assist number, he he gets three – against the Pacers, I think that that number can sometimes be a little deceiving about what he's able to do for other guys because, as you said, Justin, his dribble is so tasty. But the the bench played well uh, last night, and I think that that's 
good news for a Hornets team that's once again going to have to call on all nine guys. When you, when you don't have MKG on the floor, you have to call on all nine guys to step up. Hopefully, soon, they'll get one more back in Big Al Jefferson. He was the main subject in, in an article that you wrote that you can read on ESPN730.com. Tell, t- talk, talk to us about this article. So the, the missing element in your mind, Al Jefferson, how does his return impact the Hornets in the context of of MKG's injury and possible lengthy outage. Now, granted, they were going to become a much better rebounding team with both of those guys on the floor. And sadly, there will not be both of those guys on the floor. Mm-hmm. But one thing I think that's really going to do well with this is Charlotte wants to play one in, four out. You can do that to a degree, with Cody, you can do that to a degree with Frank. You can do that to a degree with Spencer Haas. But being, being the you're you're saying those guys being the one in. Yeah, and you can always try to do things. That doesn't mean you're always going to succeed when you do those things. And having Big Al back is that's going to and one thing I think was really going to be good about this is Marvin has been shooting the ball at a very high rate, I would say the past 2 weeks, 2 3 weeks. And when you have Al back, one good thing that Clifford always says with his teams is the ball cannot stick. The ball can't stick. We have to move it. And when you have Al down there, most nights, you know, he's going to do well if he can go one-on-one. And the other nights, and, and when he starts going for buckets, you know, they're going to slide it as you defend it over. And when you can move the ball, that leads to open shots. Because one thing when you watch Golden State, what makes them really good is their passing. They get the ball. They get the ball around, and people are touching the ball. And when you can do that, one thing that what Clifford loves about having Al Jefferson, he always says, "Cuts, cuts." You can now get people that can go mm-hmm. through the lane. You can do a lot of things having them back. And another thing, why I think they're going to be good, and I failed to put this in the piece. This is a contract year for Al Jefferson. He knows he's getting up in age. He's also battled injuries. He's, you're going to get the best out of Jefferson because one thing I know in sports, if guys don't play well at all, they will play well in a contract year because big man people are saying, well, you know, they're, you know big men are dying out, which well, is true. Well, not, a, not only a contract year, Justin, but also now a, a, um, a contract year that was cut short. Or, mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's going to have even more pressure in a shorter amount of time to showcase what he can do for an NBA team as he looks for what – is most likely going to be his final contract or or maybe the second to final contract. I think what Big Al Jefferson can deliver most of this team is a release valve on offense. And we saw that the absence of that, I think, early on when he first got injured. When the shot clock gets down and your your first action, your second action don't produce anything – it's nice to have a release valve that you can toss the ball down to and say, hey, go go get us a bucket. And it's a pretty high percentage look, high percentage bucket. And Big Al Jefferson does that. And, uh, you know, this team is is good at ball movement at times, and other times the ball decides to stick and guys go looking for shots, especially on the bench. And so if Big Al Jefferson can get staggered in with the bench a little bit, I think that could possibly help as well. I mean – Steve Clifford is still going to have options. Even with MKG's injury, he's going to have options. He's going to have decisions to make as they come out of the break. We're not sure 
exactly when Big Al will make his debut, whether it will be right out of the break or possibly you know, several games afterwards, but it'll be very interesting to watch. And I, I think another thing is, with Al being gone, um, it made some it made some guys step up. Um, Cody has had to shoulder a bigger role. Kaminsky is having a good rookie year. Now, say if any of those guys were pressing, specifically Zeller, he can go back to you know doing what he likes to do, and that's that's just cutting and 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 trying to somewhat be a rim protector. Um, I wouldn't say he's a rim protector, but you know he's he's trying, and, and I think. It'll it'll just another thing. Why I thought Hornets were playing well outside of MK just being back is you start to feel comfortable. You're like my guys are back, my teammates are back. These are guys I'm used to playing with. So when you get a certain level of comfort, you perform better. And you have to remember too that when when the Hornets were healthy without MKG earlier in the season, they were able to be a very good yeah. defensive team and a good offensive team. Very true. So it, it's shown itself to be possible now can they get themselves back to that place once big al jefferson returns we have to see but the evidence that it has happened that it can happen again is certainly there and luckily for the hornets justin they have nine days to you know deal with what's going on and it looks like i mean your only option i think at this point is to reinsert pj back into the starting lineup so that he can again Sir, the look you the the look you just gave. All right, so you put PJ back in the lineup because he's the guy that go can go and defend the opposition's best offensive player decently enough to give Nick Batum some some rest so that he's you know late in the game he can knock down three point shots and we're it looks like they're going to have to go back down the well again. And it seemed like from the comments that came out right after PJ got his DNPs that Clifford did a good job of of talking to PJ, being very communicative about what was going on, and hopefully PJ took that experience within the context of what was going on with the Hornets then, and he can summon the, the, the ability to, to come out and play a significant role for this team once more. Because when you're in PJ's situation, which you know 70% of the league is in, when you, when you don't know whether you're going to be a starter or, or a bench player or a DNP, you know, there's so many guys that don't know what's going to happen. You've got to be ready. And, and, talk, and, and talk about a contract. This guy's auditioning for a job. Like, he hasn't been any... He hasn't been, for the most part of this year, he hasn't been any good. He's put together some good games the past two weeks. And and that's a guy that, you know, hey, if, if you want a job, if you want to stay in this league, you have to perform. And you would hope that he can actually actually play in the first quarter and, and not pick up two fouls in the first four minutes of the game, which he likes to do pretty often. Um, so, you know, I'm just – he the sample size, you think PJ's not going to do much, but you would just – if you're a fan He's of this certainly team, not going to replace 13 and a half points, 7 rebounds. Shoot, he can't even give you 8 consistently. But if you're if you're a fan of this team, I think the only thing you can do is is just try to be positive and hope he can knock down some open threes cuz he gets about 4 to 5 open looks each game. He might make 2 of those if 2. So if he can just knock some of those shots down, you know, he can also 
put some good things on tape and hopefully get a training camp invite and make a roster because he just hasn't done much but foul. All right, let's head back to Twitter where we're asking, uh, now that we're gearing up for a big owl return, what have we been missing that he can bring back to this Hornets team? And Matthew on Twitter saying, odd as it sounds, because we're talking about Al Jefferson here, defensive spacing, he's no rim protector by any means, but his body is always in the paint. So I tell you, we have the smartest Hornets fans in in Charlotte, the smartest Hornets fans in the United States and the world listening to this show. Love that tweet because I think it's true. I think while he definitely, because of his uh, physical realities, his quickness or lack thereof, he, he's not going to, on the defensive end, he's not going to be able to you know, defend somebody out past the free throw line. Okay, we know that. He's going to have to sag down. We get that in the pick and roll especially. But he's actually a, a, a decent to good uh, uh, strip stripper. Strips the ball away. So, I mean, he creates he can create plays underneath the rim. I just said Al Jefferson's a stripper. I get it. And but, there, there could be kids listening to this I'm show. I'm sorry. But... I think he he does things on the defensive end that go unnoticed or underrated at times, and you know, it's it's certainly I think if you're Cody Zeller, you feel more comfortable about your role on this team because you're going to have to be the defensive presence that comes off the bench and you know uh, subs in in those type of situations. But you know, Al Jefferson's not going to play the the significant role that we saw him play two years ago. We know that, so. I think that it just gives you his offensive ability is still there. It's not as prominent as it was, but it's still there. His ability to be an offensive release valve exists. So he gives you opportunities. He gives you another weapon. And if he's having a really good night, he gives you somebody that that teams have to pay attention to. And we haven't had a huge sample size of games where Big Al Jefferson is playing with Big Kimba Walker. Because Kimball Walker's playing much better than than he's ever played with Al Jefferson. And we know the chemistry that those two guys have. So Al Jefferson could create even more opportunities for Kimball Walker to score the basketball. So that's another, I think, positive if we're if we're looking for positives. Yeah, you, you'll, you'll get a positive in, uh, I would say. I'm assuming this is it's all It's talent. That's the thing. Al Jefferson is talent. He is NBA-level talent. Is he, an, is he a third NBA all the third team? No, no not right, anymore. Not. But it's but, all right, though. But he's NBA talent, and when you get that, that's a positive. Yeah, and plus, this team needs all the positive they can get. Um, He's going to return. He's going to be motivated. He's going to bring some toughness. And um, one thing that Clifford always talks about is, is that, you know, they aren't a great rebounding team. They're not a good rebounding team. But he says, you know, late in games, they need somebody that can go get boards. And one thing he says, people, and he'll actually say this, that, you know, Al Jefferson is not known for his rebounding at all. But what he does do is in late game situations, he can secure rebounds. So Al Jefferson is going to bring some points. He's going to bring some rebounds when it matters. And he's just going to help with the with the morale and the confidence of this team. All right, let's move on to one guy that could be affected by Al Jefferson's return, Frank Kaminsky. We don't know how he fits into this whole puzzle with Spencer Hawes, with Cody Zeller. Seems like there's going to have to be one big man who is the odd man out early in the season with Spencer Hawes. We don't. We just don't know. But we we do know one thing. 
that Frank Kaminsky is being talked about throughout the media. We it started with Adi Joseph and Sporting News doing a profile of the Hornets rookie, how he's the weirdest. We talked to Adi on the show about it. He's the weirdest or, or, or most unique, I think, is the word he used. And Adi Joseph, I said on Twitter, he's a Kaminsky hipster because he was the first. Now you've got an article on uh, sports.vice.com called Rookies Deconstructed, Frank Kaminsky. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of physics in this article. I, I, I enjoyed the read. I don't know if I agree with everything. There's a lot of player comparisons. Uh, this this author, let me get the name here. Ian, Le- oh Ian Levy, yeah, yeah, Hickory High on Twitter, great great author. Compares him to Brad Miller. Compares Frank to Rick Smits, the the seven four Dutchman, and compares him to Sam Perkins. the The comparison that I like is actually Sam Perkins, because now he he talks about how Sam Perkins had a great set shot, great set three point shot. Uh, played for uh, played for the Sonics. Played who else did Perkins play for? Perkins was uh, he was all, he, he went all around there at the yeah. end of the oh Lakers. He played in the Lakers Bulls final and and Perkins had a around. had a big game had a game winning shot I believe in those finals. But uh, Perkins had a, a a great set three point shot for a big man when that wasn't that was in the nineties that wasn't a thing. And uh, he compares him to Kaminsky because both these guys don't jump very high on their three point shots. Nope. Uh, yeah, Sam Perkins uh, from 94 to 2001, the last eight seasons of Perkins' career, he shot 38.2% on three-pointers. I'm reading this from the article. So that, that I think, is a good comparison because not only could Perkins hit that set shot where he didn't jump very high, he had a quick, he had a quick hand release but still had to get his feet set, and that's the same thing that Kaminsky deals with. He still needs that space to hit the shot because he's, he takes a, a lot longer than a guard to set those feet and to get those arms into the air. Um, but the the reason I really like this comparison, Justin, is because Perkins had this great thing where he would back his guy down, back his guy down, and then maybe one fake, maybe not, he would roll around and dart towards the lane and and put it up softly. And we've seen Frank do that several times this season, and you don't expect it. You're wondering, he makes him wait, wait. He's very patient. He's got a great set of fakes. Talking about both Perkins and Frank Kaminsky. So I love this comparison between Kaminsky's game and Sam Perkins' game. It's worth. It's definitely worth a read. Hey, I'm, I'm gonna have to go check that out. Go check that one out, and go check I'm this other check article out. out. This is a more of a fun article uh, on Rolling Stone by, uh, and I'm gonna get this name wrong, so I apologize in advance. But by Jack Tiandana, and he it's this is an interview style, and we learn uh, why Frank Kaminsky refers to Kimba Walker as dad. In the article, he says, yeah, I always call him dad. One day in the locker room, someone joked, you have to call Kimba dad from now on. <laughs> so so I did. That's a very simple explanation, Frank. I don't, I, w- I want to know why he has to call Kimba Walker dad now. I'm definitely going to have to ask about that. And the title of this article, and it comes from that answer, is Frank Kaminsky is Kimba Walker's favorite white guy, and he's proud of it. And, you know, that's, that's high compliment. I, 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 there are quite a few white guys. And apparently Frank Kaminsky is Kimball Walker's favorite white guy. Uh, so, yeah, a lot, of good, a lot of good stuff in this article. But the point is, I mean, Frank Kaminsky is getting talked about. He's getting a lot of publicity for a guy that's averaging a little over seven points a game. He's not in the, the rookie uh, or, or the uh, rising stars challenge, I should say, say, coming up in the all-star game. But he's getting a lot of pub. And I think it's because he has an interesting game. But I think it's mostly because he's a goofy dude. 
right? I mean, he's getting this because he's he's a good interview. He's yeah. a fun interview. And he's fun to be around. You know, he's he's serious when it's game time, but like he's very He's a very likable guy. He smiles. He likes to crack <laughs> jokes. A lot of positive energy with Kaminsky. He's a he's a guy that, that <laughs> Justin, you, could, you sound like you. He's like, listen, when we watch Netflix, like he makes the funniest references. Like you know, like that would probably be the guy in the group. You'd be like, yo, my guy Frank. He's actually pretty funny. That's that's hilarious. Well, he right. uh, so he's he's very goofy and a little bit funny on Twitter. And he asks a lot of important questions on Twitter. Like he really gets down to the heart of things on his Twitter account. And so we're starting a new segment here. It's called Frank Kaminsky Asks Important Questions on Twitter. And, and Justin, um, you didn't even agree to this, but it's part of being on the show. I'm, I'm going to make you read, uh, if you'll refer to the second page of your rundown, I'm going to make you read these important questions on Twitter. These are actual questions that the actual Frank Kaminsky actually asked on Twitter. Hmm. Hit us with the first one. Okay. How haven't they made iPhone screens shatterproof yet? <laughs> That's a good question. That's an extremely important question, and and it seems like it has uh, come from experience. I think he, he tweeted that from his iPad. All right, here we go. Now we have another one. Questions. Question two. Did they find the most dense people for that Chevy commercial or what? That was clearly not a Lexus. Questions. That was interesting. Question three. Do you consider Hook a Christmas movie? Setting begins as Christmas. That's actually, it's a great, it's a great question because there are so many movies that you go, is the, I know it came out around Christmas. I know that it's supposed to take place at Christmas, but, but this movie is in Maui and they, they barely reference Christmas. I don't know if this is a Christmas movie. I've never even seen it. No, not Hook. Hook didn't take place in Maui. I'm just saying there are, there are movies like that, that you go, I don't, I don't really know if this is. It, it's it's not a movie that everyone watches at Christmas, but if it takes place at Christmas, I don't know if it necessarily is a Christmas movie. I don't think Hook is a Christmas movie. Question. Question. The next one. My ass has never actually grabbed anything, <laughs> so why would it start now? Listen, that's a, you know, I mean, he asked the question. His ass has never actually grabbed anything. Hey, so why, why should it start now? Should it start now? Question. Next one. Why does everyone in the mall dress like they're about to be an Abercrombie and Fitch commercial at any moment? I don't know. I, I don't know oh, why yeah. the Abercrombie and Fitch store um, releases cologne through the vents. Yeah. It, 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 it is, it's not obnoxious. It's noxious. It'll hit I, you. I, will, I feel sick. It'll hit you. And, it's like a, and I'm, I'm like you. Andy Rooney. And another thing. No, All right. Last one. Heart. Question. Next one. Can someone fill me in on what's going on with Dicka? That's it. That's questions. That's Frank Kaminsky asks important questions on Twitter. Dicka, can someone fill me in on what's going on with Dicka? He's hey, he's from Chicago. He wants to know. Yeah, he don't know. He doesn't know. Uh, trade buzz is our next topic, and the trade deadline is coming up Thursday, February eighteenth, the day after the Hornets return to action out of the break. Are you surprised, Justin, that there hasn't been much in the way of trade rumors or news surrounding the Hornets this season? Because, I mean, they've got plenty of money and they've got a few pieces with expiring deals. Are you surprised there hasn't been any real nuggets of information that have dropped out? Legitimate um, ones, not from Buck's sports page on Twitter or some BS. I have, I have not. I'm, I'm not really surprised. Um, like, the only guy you could 
possibly shop is Nick Batum and Charles trying to keep him here long term. So outside of that, like you have some guys with expiring contracts, but you know, I don't know if anybody's jumping to get, you know, Marvin Williams or PJ Hairston or I don't know, but I would say that Marvin is a piece that you could market or that possibly a team that is, you know, in the top four in the East or in the top four in the West and and needs just one more piece maybe off the bench because the Hornets love him as a starter. But there are a lot of teams with their starting rotation set that go, hey, I could use a high-energy guy off the bench that can rebound, that can defend three or four positions that – uh, can go out and shoot me a three, and, and he, he can play the four and, and, and stretch the floor. Play the four, stretch the floor. Yeah. I like it. And that rhymed. I, I did. That's Clever. why I, it did. That's why I said it again. Oh, wait, that doesn't rhyme. Um, nah, that didn't. <laughs> it was a it's half. Okay. It, was a quarter, okay. it was a quarter rhyme. Uh, does MKG's injury affect the trade buzz in any way in your mind? It seems like the guys on Twitter seem to think so. Nah, Mike wasn't going anywhere. Um and definitely, the, well, I'll tell you one thing, the injury doesn't help it. <laughs> I mean, Al Jefferson's on an expiring deal. P.J. is on an expiring deal. And, and P.J., again, you know, he, he is somewhat derided by some Hornets fans, but he's a 3 and D guy. He can play defense. He can guard two positions. And on a, occasional nights, he can hit threes consistently. No, Nobody wants P.J. But in limited <laughs> minutes, again, I think a team in limited minutes, you could... And he's going to have the opportunity, not really, not anymore, no, not no, to showcase. I, I, you can't really showcase I'm himself I'm all for positivity, point. but there's not much when you get to Mr. Harrison. Not Even right. though I'm a Tar Heels fan, gosh, I just, there isn't just much with that guy. So you don't think there's going to be even the, the famous Rich Cho small maneuver? I don't think so. I don't think, I, w- I would be shocked if something happened. I, I would definitely say that. I wouldn't be shocked because it is Rich Cho. And we know he likes to do. He's he's uh, the art of the deal. That's his whole thing. I mean, he likes to make these small incremental moves, and and certainly MKG's injury. I, I think it impacts, if not in a significant way. I think it does leave them thinking: Can we really expect to to make any kind of wave in the playoffs? Plural with PJ Hairston as a starter. So if the goal is to shock the world and compete in the first round of the playoffs, I think maybe you have to do something. You have to look at some kind of option out there. And after this after this game against the Pacers, I don't know if it's Solomon Hill, the guy that I keep floating out nope. there. He didn't have a great nope. He didn't have a great showing. 16 minutes, 4 points, 2 of 4 shooting, but yeah, he got burned on defense. He, the, the the eye test, it's always important, folks. You got to watch these guys play. So yeah, I don't know if that's um, I don't know if that's really an option for the Hornets, but I, I, you know I, I'm not I'm not the I'm, I'll tell you straight up, Justin, I'm, I don't get on the trade machine much. It's not really my expertise. I'm more of a, a a game analyst, but I just think I just think if you're the Hornets, you have to explore all options if that's the goal. But, if the if the goal is to make some kind of progress in the playoffs, they were there two years ago and got swept. If the goal is to win a playoff series, I don't think you can legitimately do that with a liability like P.J. Hairston in in the starting lineup. He's done great things. This is not a slight against P.J. because I think he's done an admirable job in in what he's been asked to do. But, But we saw him attempting 
for whatever reason, to try to expand that role with mixed results. When he tries to expand his, when he tries to get 13 shots, it, it you know, it works out maybe one out of every three times. And that's not going to fly in the playoffs. You did just say. What did PJ I just say? Harrison has done great things. I don't think anybody would agree with no, that. No, no, I didn't say. I said he's been he's done an admirable job. Oh no, you said great things before that big guy. I heard that. Oh, wait, oh, it squeaked out. It might have been an accident, though. It might have been an accident. I just, I, I think he has. I think he has done. Again, I'll say it again. I think he's done an admirable job doing the things that he's been asked to do. He's shut down guys that he's been asked to shut down. He gets into foul trouble. We know that. And I just think when he's when he plays within the role that he's asked to play in and he relies on the other guys to go out and make the plays, he's played very well. And when he when he tries to expand his role, mixed results. I'm being honest. I, I I've seen about I've seen about three or four good games from Mr. Hairston. But um But you don't need you don't need that's the thing. You don't need PJ Hairston good games. You need PJ Hairston playing Within the role that he's been asked to play, yeah, knock down. Hey, we just want him to knock down a few. I want him to knock down a few jump shots and uh, stay out of foul trouble. And I, he doesn't do much of either of those two. Questions. I want more Frank Kaminsky questions. I hope he keeps asking these important questions. Do you consider Hook a Christmas movie? I'm sure he will. I'm I positive so. on that. Otherwise, we we don't have another segment. All right, uh, let's see. Three minutes left in the show. Time for one last thing. A teaser, a poster for a Muggsy Bogues biopic or biopic, as as some would say. Muggsy Bogues, it, w- it just said Muggsy, and it had a, a picture of what looked like a, a kid, and he's in a Muggsy jersey and, and a dimly lit court, teasing a possible Muggsy Bogues biopic and it's got people talking and 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 in a time when when Muggsy is about to participate in the all-star weekend in the celebrity game trying to drum up a little interest this this looks to be produced by his team by Muggsy's team trying to drum up a little bit of interest for Muggsy Bogues biopic and it's certainly a great story we all I mean if you if you grew up in the 90s you knew the story the Muggsy Bogues too short to play in the NBA. Everyone told him it couldn't be done. Starred at Wake Forest. Did make the NBA. Played a significant role for the Charlotte Hornets. Played with Larry Johnson. Played with Alonzo Mourning. And was part of that, part of some pretty iconic pictures that have been recreated by the the now Hornets. The, the famous picture of LJ sort of hugging Muggsy. So low. Is what was then taken by the Hornets and made Big Al Jefferson and... Kimba Walker, so I thought that was kind of neat. But the question we have to ask real quickly before we get out of here is who should play Muggsy? You you've got you've got one. Actually, I have two. Oh, you thought of another but one. Great. The other one no. You, um I hope it's I hope you didn't look you didn't cheat off no, my paper. I'll actually give you the first one. Okay. Um Jaden Smith. I wanted you, to, you 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 stole I'm telling you, you I, looked at my I paper. Prom- I promise you I didn't. But after, he did such a I didn't enjoy it after Earth, so I'm canceling that out. I'm going with Bow Wow. Little Bow Wow. Shot Moss. I like that. I, but I'm wondering, is Bow Wow too old now? No, he's 27, I think. 27, 28. 
Okay. Hey, you saw what like Mike was. Well, listen, 40, I mean, listen, 40-year-olds on the OC got away with being 18. So, uh, okay, we, we can make that happen. I, lo- I love Jaden Smith, but here's the thing with Jaden, I think. What? What? Let me see. Ah, uh, don't get that out of get that. Which we're not talking. No, listen, we we're not going to talk about Dwight Howard. Great, to the great Hornets. tweet, Nick. Don't, don't get out of here with that. That's not going to happen. All right. Um, if you really want to talk about it, maybe we'll try to bring it up on Sunday when we go on Fox Forty Six. Good day, Charlotte. Make sure to check that out. By the way, Sunday eight thirty a.m. Set your DVRs. David and I will be back on Good Day Charlotte. Uh, I, okay. Here's my name before we get out of here. Marcus T. Polk. Name doesn't sound familiar, but he played Miles on Moesha. I that is a good one. Listen, Google this. If you don't know who I'm talking about, I watched Moesha in the nineties. He's a kid of the nineties. He played Miles, the little brother on Moesha. He was also in Red Tails, Marcus T. Polk. Look it up and it's gonna blow your mind. You're gonna look at him and go, Holy Dude, that's holy a, hell, that's that a looks really like good Muggsy. One. Marcus T or Bow Wow, one of the two. Marcus T. Polk. P-A-U-L-K, Google that, I think, and, and I think they could afford him. You can't afford Jaden. I think Jaden's too, that's too much uh, for know. the for the Muggsy movie. I think that, I think you got to be realistic and, and go out there and get Marcus T. Polk. Do it. All right, that'll do it for us, Hornets fans. Thanks to um, everyone for out there, out there listening to us. We really appreciate it. And thanks to our friends at ESPN 730. Listen to them on ESPN730.com or, of course, 730 a.m. on your dial. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Hive Talk Live for live game updates and more. Go to atthehive.com for all the latest news and analysis on your Charlotte Hornets. For Justin, I'm Doug saying stay bought in, stay believing. All hail the teal and purple. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17